Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Uh, last week, I said that we were going to kind of camp here a little while on this element and this topic of stewarding the divine. Stewarding the divine. That we have to understand that it's uh, not what we obtain in life that changes us or produces results. It's what we maintain in life. It's not just obtaining, but there is a measure of maintaining. And we are thankful for the times and the moments and the uh, experiences where we obtain something from God. Maybe it was a word. Uh, maybe it was an experience. Maybe it was a moment. But our lives are defined, you know this, by what we discipline ourselves to and what we condition ourselves to maintain over time. And as we receive things from God, remember, this year we are thanking God and moving in a direction of abundant clarity. That means you're going to have a harvest of revelation. How many of you already, just in the last couple of months, the Lord's already begun showing you things, giving you clarity on things. He's been progressing and moving things forward. Amen. Amen. And, and if you can't confidently raise your hand, it's coming. It's coming. It's not the same for everybody. But he wants you to know. And I hope you have, have discovered that and realized that over these first 60 some odd days so far that, that God wants you to know what is on his heart. God wants you to know his word boldly and confidently. God wants you to be assured, not playing this guessing game for the rest of your life. I hope I got it right. Uh, I hope that I heard right. I hope that I saw right. I hope that I felt right. God is wanting to instill a, a extreme foundation of things in our lives this year so that we can boldly move into the things, even the prophetic things that God is releasing in our lives. Uh, I, we don't need to be questioning and wondering and wandering and, and having doubts and concerns. I think we have covered clearly, and if you're not there yet, just go back and listen to some of the messages we've already covered this year, but we've covered quite clearly that God wants you to know these things. But now we're moving into, what do I do with it? How do I steward it? How do I take care of that, right? The, 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 the crop that you receive, the planting of the seed is just the beginning of the process. That's just the starting point. We've just barely even gotten started on the road of seeing and receiving and revealing what God has yet in store. And this is why we got to have eyes that see. This is why we got to have ears that here. Amen? And so how are we stewarding? Stewardship is not ownership, but it's oversight. It's not ownership. I don't own it, but I take care of it as if I owned it. That's what a steward does. There's a parable that I'm reminded of that Jesus gave where he says there was a master that gave to three of his servants different measures of talents. And ultimately, they were stewards over those talents. They did not own those talents. It was not within their possession to do with as they please. If I feel like burying it, if I feel like multiplying it, if I feel like just keeping it where it's at, uh, at the end of the day, the master came back and he said, you're going to give account of how you have managed that according to my desire, according to what I would expect you to do. And we know the first two, of course, they managed it by trading it, right? And they were able to bring back the five, brought back another five, increased it to 10. The two brought back another two, increased it to four. But then there was the one that had the one, right? This is what I want you to know. Regardless of what the Lord shows you this year, regardless of how small or minute you think it is, no matter how uh, uh, minuscule that word or that moment that you think is just a little tiny seed, he still has an expectation of you to produce a harvest from it. And if you treat the one 
as a one because you see others with twos and fives, then you're going to miss out on the principle of the matter that you are to multiply whatever you're given. Whatever you're given. So this isn't about, well, they got this great word about this great thing that was going to happen, and I just have this little small note. How you treat the small reveals how you'll take care of the large. It reveals if you can handle the large. Because if you remember, he says that the master gave to them according to their ability, according to what they, he wasn't just, uh, you know, playing eeny, meeny, miny, mo, and uh, you get five, and you get two, and, and you back there, you get one. No, he said, what can you handle? What have you, what have you proven to me? But that's not to be the limit. That's just to be the start. God doesn't give us small to, to uh, limit. And I'm telling you right now, if we don't treat the small moments, the small opportunities, some of us are looking for trees, and we've never been faithful with seed. I'll say that again. Some of us are looking for trees, but we haven't managed the seed yet. And so he's always going to start with the seed. You know who values seed? The devil. Because when that seed is sown on the wayside, it says that's the enemy coming immediately to collect up. You know why? Because he knows the potential within that seed. He knows what the seed can potentially produce. And so the, the enemy's throwing you seeds all the time. All day long, he's throwing you little seeds to see, will you plant it? Will you water it? Will you manage it? So our life is not a result of what we obtain. Our lives are a result of what we maintain. Our lives are a result of what we manage and take care of. And if you're seeing an an abundant crop of the wrong things, that means you've been watering the wrong things, planting the wrong things, overseeing the wrong things. But it's awesome because the same principle works on the other side. If we'll treat the small things with great value, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about this place of honor. We ended up uh, last week, we saw in Mark chapter 6, Jesus went back to his hometown, right? Went back to Nazareth. Nothing like preaching at home. Nothing like preaching in front of your kinfolk. This weekend, we've got a guest minister coming in. His name's uh, Tony McKinnon and his wife, Kim. Uh, they, they serve out. They work out at uh, Rama uh, Bible Church and Rama Bible College out in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. But this is where they're from. This is, this is hometown for them. And they'll probably have some kinfolk here. But, you know, he ministers all over. And I'm sure this is probably one of the hardest places for him to minister in one sense. I mean, a lot of you won't know him, but anybody that's sitting here, familiar with his past, familiar with his life, familiar. You know, I could go back to Fort Worth, Texas and minister, but, you know, if I've got friends and family sitting out in the crowd, they're going to, oh, that's that kid from high school. That's, that's that, oh, that's just that, 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 you know, whatever. They, they, what? They start remembering you by who you were, not by what you've become. Anyway, so Jesus comes back home and he ministers. Golly, we got phones and devices. Let's all take a moment right now to mute our devices, me included, apparently. Um, that's why I don't preach with these things on, man. Watches. Well, everybody wants to start talking. So the second I get the mic, all the phone calls come through. They hadn't been bugging you all day long. Like, oh, they're in church. Let's give them a call real quick. That's how it works. So Jesus is ministering at home, and he ends up with this challenge, with this issue. Yeah, Jesus had challenges in ministry, didn't he? Ends up with this challenge called familiarity. Familiarity. It's amazing the things that we compromise in our own lives when we become too familiar. At the end of the day, when we treat something as familiar, that means it's become common or normal. It's lost its value. It's lost its sacredness. It's lost its meaning, its purpose, its intent. It says that Jesus could do no mighty work there because of their unbelief. It was familiarity that led them to unbelief. This was interesting because they saw the miracles and they heard the powerful words. It says they were astonished. They marveled. But they marveled in disbelief. I can marvel in belief or I can marvel in disbelief. They marveled in disbelief. How can these great things be coming through such a small man? 
How can these great things be happening through such a common person? Ultimately, we know that this was what got Jesus hung on a cross because they couldn't accept that the Messiah would come as a babe born in a manger, didn't even have room for him in the inn, was born in a barn, right? They expected a great king in a, in a kingdom, in a castle, you know, ruling and reigning like our perception, and, and they couldn't receive that. They couldn't receive that these great things were happening through such a common individual, that deity would take on the form of humanity, and they missed the Messiah, even though he was walking in their very midst. Familiarity. We saw another moment in John chapter 6 where Jesus is uh, ministering. He's, he's preaching at the end of the day. He's speaking. He's delivering the word. But his disciples, it, it gets a little too edgy. It's a little too tight. And they make the statement in John chapter 6, it's around verse 60. They said, this is a hard saying. Who can receive this? This is hard stuff he's talking about. And notice Jesus doesn't bend, doesn't bow, doesn't soften the message, doesn't take away the blow or the punch. He stays right on course and he says, hey, follow it or not. Turns to his own 12 disciples. He says, you guys going to leave too? And Peter's response is pretty remarkable. He says, where would we go? You have the words of life. You have the words of life, meaning we place value on what you're saying. We honor what you are saying. And this is the thing is management, stewardship reveals value. That's ultimately what we're talking about. This is really talking about honor. Do you honor the word? Do you honor the system? Do you honor the man of God or the woman of God? Do you honor the position? Do you honor the husband and the wife? Do you honor your children? Children, do you honor your parents? It all comes down to honor because when there's dishonor, there's a lack of value. And this is what we have to understand is when we dishonor something, it actually reveals more about us than it does about them. Our our posture of honor reveals more about us than it does the person we're bestowing the honor or not bestowing honor on. It's an internal heart matter, internal heart position. And so we need to know how to steward these things, how to keep things from becoming common or, uh, you know, uh, regular, normal. I want to show you this quote real quick. It says this. We live in an environment that hums with an undercurrent of Christian culture where most of us are familiar with a God we never truly get to know. Familiar with a God we never truly get to know. It's a dangerous place in society. I thank God for our country, and I thank God for the religious freedoms that we have, and I thank God for the the uh, the the bookstores and the writings and the all the media outlets that allow us to promote the gospel in, in so many amazing ways, but there is a danger with ease of access. There is a danger with being overly flooded with content. Having too much can cause us to lose our value for something. You know that there are people on this planet existing right now in 2023 that are ready, ready, willing to let their head roll for this. That in a lot of Christian American homes collect dust. I know it's a sobering thought. I know. It's very convicting. It's very necessary that we take an internal inventory. Where's my value at? Where does my value lie? 
We typically don't know what we value until it's taken away, until that freedom is lost. Didn't know what you had until you lost it. Ease of access. Has it lowered our value rather than increasing it? Has it caused, has it cost us the ability to even count the cost? It's just, it's just a question. We have to understand this value system that God has in place. We cannot allow these things to become familiar. We cannot allow these things to become normal activity. We cannot allow these things to just be uh, regular occurrences in our life. We need to treat it as valuable, as honorable, as sacred. Even in the moves of God and even in the the way that God is moving and the way that God is operating, even the the things that we have seen over the last few months regarding, uh, you know, revival in our country and the reviving that's needed. What do we really value in that? Where does the real value lie? Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 says it this way. But seek first. Everyone say, seek first. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let's take a look. Let's pay attention to these words now. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added. Everyone say, shall be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Now, let's break this down. First off, he says, seek. Searching always reveals value. What you search for, how in-depth of a search you take, how involved your search is, how long you keep searching, not giving up, not giving in, reveals the value that you have for the thing you are searching for. If you lose something and easily give it's like, ah, I don't know where it is. It'll turn up one day. You don't really have that high of a value for that thing which you have lost, okay? But if you are flipping everything over, we can't go anywhere, do anything. We are not doing the next thing until this thing is found guess what? That thing must be highly valuable to you. It must have meaning. It doesn't mean it has to be of great value as in cost. It doesn't mean that it has to be of great value in uh, monetary form. It means that it means something to you, which means it can mean something to you that it doesn't mean to someone else. It could be valuable to you, but it's not as valuable to someone else. So seeking is what you do for things that are valuable. This is why Jesus says, uh, you know, we've always told the, or always talked about parables in the manner of he gave parables or told parables, told these stories to make the kingdom relatable. And there's truth to that. But ultimately, the reason why he spoke in parables was to hide the kingdom. Why would he want to hide a kingdom? You don't hide it to keep it from somebody. You hide it to reveal, do you really want it? How deep, how, how, how deeply will you search for this? How invested will you be in identifying and finding? And that's why he said, we have a generation that has ears, but we do not hear, eyes that do not see, and I'm literally giving you these truths right in front of you, and you're missing the point because you haven't invested What's necessary to value, I got to know. If you remember in Matthew chapter 13, when he gave the parable of the sower, he first gives the, the parable in verses 1 through 9, verses 1 through 10, somewhere in there. And then around verse 10, 11, 12, somewhere, the disciples, the, the 12 disciples, the smaller group, he ministered the parable of the sower to an entire multitude. But this smaller group, these 12 disciples say, what do you mean by that? Why do you speak to them in, par- uh, in parables, but to us, you speak to us differently? 
And Jesus doesn't respond and say, what are you talking about? I treat everybody the same. Everybody's equal. Everybody can receive what I have. No, he says, to them, it has not been given to know the kingdom of God. But to you, it has. What a weird thing for Jesus to say, you can get something they can't. You have access to something they don't. But to them, they have ears and they do not hear. They have eyes and they do not see. Why is that? Why is Jesus all of a sudden playing favorites? Well, he's not. He's just simply identifying who's invested and who's not. Because the multitudes, they're not invested. They're there as long as the signs are happening. They're there as long as the food's being multiplied. They're there as long as the miracles are taking place. They're there as long as the astonishing words. But the disciples, they left home. They left father. They left mother. They left familiarity. They left jobs. They left comfort. They left everything they knew to follow someone they didn't know to do something they had no idea what they were doing. They're a little more invested, would you say? And he says, to you, it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. I'm not hiding it from them because I don't want them to see it. I want them to see it. But the question is not, do I want them to see it? The question is, do they want to see it? And so it's, I mean, in that entire passage, only 12 people ask, what is the meaning of this parable? Only 12 go a step further to say, bring them alongside and say, hey, that's, that's not good enough. I need to know more. What are you talking about? I, we, you need to explain this. I need more. So that's the seeking. Seeking always determines value. Then the next word is first. Seek first. What's first? First is priority. First means first. Before you do anything else, before you seek anything else, before you go looking for anything else, what? Seek first the kingdom. Now, do you think he was saying seek first the kingdom, then go seek everything else? I think what he means is if you would seek first the kingdom, you would find out that's all the seeking you will need. In fact, he explains it in the rest of the verse. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and everything else that you thought you needed to seek after will actually come find you. Did you know the stuff that you're running after is actually trying to run after you? The goodness of God is running after me. We just sang about it. But many of us are so busy chasing the goodness that the goodness can't find us. Huh? I've given that story before. We were in the, in the airport. I was traveling with my wife, and she had to run off and do something. And I'm, you know, sitting at the uh, uh, terminal with the bags and everything, and I'm supposed to be right there. And she hasn't come back in a certain amount of time, so thinking, well, maybe she got lost or something. So I load everything up, and I'm wandering around the airport. Well, guess where she went? The last place she <laughs> she knew to go. But I'm off wandering around, so she can't find me. I can't find her. We're all, if I would have just stayed, huh? If I would have just stayed, my what I was looking for would have found me. He's saying all these things would be added to you. Seek first, seek first, make it primary, make it your focus. Do not be distracted. We talked about that on Sunday. Make it your primary focus, your primary goal, your primary pursuit. Seek first the kingdom. Now watch this. We got to watch this now. Seek first the kingdom. There's two things he says to seek. The kingdom and your right, and your his righteousness, your righteous position in the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. So there's actually two things we should be making priority. Seeking after the kingdom, that's God's domain, that's his rule, that's his authority, that's his intent, that's his purpose, that's his will, that's his why. That's the kingdom of God. It's the invisible domain that makes itself a reality in the natural. 
Seek first the kingdom, his way of doing things, and his righteousness, meaning being in right standing within the kingdom. It does no good to find the kingdom and then dishonor or disobey everything the kingdom has. So two things, seek the kingdom, his will, his purpose, his intent, his way of doing things. And then my righteousness, meaning my alignment with that new kingdom. Seek first. Seeking determines value. First determines priority, making it the primary pursuit. The kingdom and your position in the kingdom. And then it says what? And all these things shall be added to you. Now, in this passage, he's obviously talking about those natural things. He says, don't worry about what you'll eat. Don't worry about what you'll drink. Don't worry about what you'll wear, right? If you read the verses up to this, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. But here's the principle. The principle is this. If we don't make his kingdom the primary pursuit, we will find ourselves chasing after the results rather than the thing that produces the results. And honestly, this is the American way. Don't seek after the thing that produces the results. Just find your way to get the results. Everybody wants the result of something. You know, my son, he, he's, he plays baseball. You know, we, I talk about that a lot. And uh, this year he, he started uh, middle school baseball at his school, sixth grade. He's on, a, he's on a team with sixth graders, seventh graders, and eighth graders. And, and really, honestly, for the first time in his life since he was four years old, he's been sitting the bench. Now, that, that's nothing super remarkable. He's been playing for city rec ball teams. That doesn't mean anything about his ability or whatever. I've coached half of those teams, more than half of those teams. He's, he's not been, but on the new team, he's sitting on the bench. For the first time in, you know, what, eight years, he's learning that there's no shortcut to the top. I said, you can talk to your hitting coach. Your hitting coach plays for the major leagues. But talk to him about all the time that he rode the bus in minor leagues. Talk to him about the time that he got called up from minor leagues from Las Vegas, showed up at Fenway Park, got called up to the majors, sat on the bench the whole time, and at midnight there was a plane waiting for him to go back to Las Vegas. All he did was take that plane in one day. He rode two planes in one day, went all the way to Boston to do nothing but sit on a bench and just be available and go right back to the minors. What? There's no shortcuts. Now, we can try to get the results of things, and that's what people want to do, is we want to do, we want to circumvent whatever we can to get the result of something, and so what are we doing? We're chasing the thing rather than the thing that produces the thing, and, and so the principle is, if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves seeking after, placing value on the wrong thing. Y'all have heard the quote before, if it doesn't cost anything, then it's not worth anything. It's got to cost you something. Parents, we got to teach our kids there's a cost involved. We can't do everything for them. We can't give them the shortcut to everything, hand them everything. Well, you know what? It goes the same in the kingdom of God. There's got to be some cost involved. There's got to be some seeking involved. There's got to be some pursuing involved. And I'm afraid in our day and age, especially in the United States of America, that we value the wrong things. We're paying the price in the wrong ways when it comes to the things of the kingdom. When it comes to the things of the kingdom. We have to understand what is the result and what is the source. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, there is nothing exciting about the source. 
I'll put it to you this way. It is much more exciting to buy the furniture than it is to lay the foundation. Much more exciting to dress it up and fix it up than it is to strip the thing down to the studs and do the hard work necessary so that when we get to the end, we have something that can maintain the end. And we, have, we are living in a society that wants to dress things up. We line up for the spectacular. We go after the miraculous and we're chasing. We're chasing healings instead of the healer. Come on. There's a foundation to this thing. And sure, a a house built on sand, that's beachfront property. But it's not going to stand against winds and waves. It's just dressed up. Looks nice. But it doesn't have the fortitude to withstand the storms and trials of life. It's all about what we value. It's all about what we seek. The question is this, are we too consumed with seeking after the results that we miss the source of the results. One of the greatest things you can do if you're believing for healing in your body is praise and worship the healer. Praise and worship the healer. Just get in a mode of praise and worship. Get your focus off of the sickness, the disease, the diagnosis, the trauma, the challenge, the offense, the bitterness, the hurt, the pain, the struggle, and get your eyes on the one that can take care of the struggle. John chapter 15 says, abide in me and I in you. He says, if you abide in me and I in you, you will ask what you want and I will do it for you. We all want the second half. Ask what you want and I'll do it. But it comes as a result of the first half, abiding and dwelling and just spending time with the Father, in communion with the Father. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, the source, the foundation, what the seeking the thing that brings the results. Guys, I'm going to be honest with you. It doesn't line people up at the doors. It's not spectacular. Every revival that this planet has ever seen has started in a prayer closet. Nobody's lining up for the prayer closet. The prayer meeting is the least attended meeting in churches all over the world. We will line up for the, we will travel hundreds, thousands of miles for the next revival, stand outside, oh, the presence of God. But there were two or three people that started what you're now spectating and watching. And yeah, the presence of God is there and the presence of God is strong. But now we're seeking the presence more than the person. I just want to feel rather than know. Let me tell you something. If you know God based on results alone, you know him as well as the devil does. Even he knows when his presence is in the place. Demons tremble at the presence of God. But they don't know him. They don't abide with him. They don't share his values. They don't share his purpose. They don't share his heart. They're in direct opposition. Oh, but I I can sense the presence of God. So can the demons. And at least they know how to respond when the presence of God shows up. They fall on their knees and they say, Lord. All right, didn't like that one, so let's um, keep on going. John chapter 3. What are we seeking? The title of my message is The Cost of First. The Cost of First. Seek first. He's not saying that the miraculous won't show up. He's not saying the presence won't come. He's not saying the sensational and the spectacular won't take place. But you can witness it or you can be a part of it. You can feel it or you can yield to it. We're losing touch. We're losing 
the sense of what should be valued. We're losing the priority. Seek first the kingdom. In John chapter 3 and verse 1, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. And after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Your miraculous signs are evidence. Now, again, it sounds great, but even the devil can see the miraculous signs and know that God is with you. It's, not, it's one thing to identify the results. It's another to identify the source. Because watch what Jesus says. In verse 3, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the what? The kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 6, we just saw, seek first the kingdom. He's saying, unless you're born again, unless you have yielded your pursuit over to the right things, being a witness of the results, seeing and spectating the end result, that's not that great. He says, you need to be able to see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Now watch this in verse 8. He explains it right here. The wind blows wherever it wants. And just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. He says, unless you get your pursuits in alignment, you will have to settle for only witnessing the signs and the wonders. But you'll never get to be a part of what produces the signs and the wonders. I heard this this past week that our faith in God should move us from believing that miracles are possible to knowing that miracles are probable. Some of us have settled for just knowing it's possible. But God wants us to move in the category of not just it might happen, it could happen, it will happen. But how do you get faith there? It's not just seeking signs and wonders. It's not just going after the miraculous results. It's getting in touch with the healer. It's getting in touch with the heart of the Father and knowing that in this situation, he wants reconciliation. In this moment, he wants healing. His divine purpose wants to be on display. But not just for the sake of seeing signs and wonders. We know this in uh, Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 38. Jesus addressed this. One day, some teachers of religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign, here it is, to prove your authority. To prove your authority. We want a sign, we want a sign, we want a sign. We want a sign, we want a sign. I mean, I know, I know. Our cry is, God, heal our land. God, we want to see you move in our midst. We want a move of God. We want to see his glory on display. But we have to be careful in our pursuits. We don't find ourselves desiring the result without desiring the one that yields the result. Are y'all getting this tonight? Is this good? Yeah. If you can't say amen, say oh me. Oh, me. 
Jesus responds in verse 39, only an evil, adulterous generation. What a word. Adulterous. It means you're cheating on the side. You've got a side piece. Huh? It means my love is conflicted. My wife just shakes her head. <laughs> Adulterous. The bride of Christ is taking the back seat. Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. And the only sign I'll give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. He goes on to say that the, the people of Nineveh will actually look at this generation and say, oh, should have listened. Because at least the people of Nineveh responded in repentance. Come on, I want to see the things you want to see. And I know they're not just possible. I know that they're probable. You've heard me say it before. We need an alignment of not just what God wants, but what for what God wants for the same reason he wants it. In Acts chapter 8, uh, Luke 11. Go to Luke 11 real quick. Luke 11. Luke 11 and verse 1. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying. And as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. I wonder, do our prayers move people to desire to know how to pray? His prayers were so powerful. His prayers demonstrated. His prayers put on a display. His prayers. Of all the things these disciples could have gone to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us how to. Lord, teach us how to. Lord, teach us how to. Think of all the things they could have listed. Anywhere from, Lord, teach us how to speak with authority as you speak. Lord, teach us how to walk on water. Teach us how to multiply bread. Teach us how to execute authority over demons. Teach us how to bring healing. Teach us how to heal and how to set free. Teach us how to open blind eyes and deaf ears. Teach us how to raise the dead. Of all the things they could have asked, they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Probably the most, the, the, the least spectacular thing Jesus may have done in his ministry is the one thing that they say, we got to know how you do that. It's the only time they say, teach us how to. Why? Because they recognized it was the source. It was the source for the multiplication of bread. It was the source for the walking on water. It was the source for peace be still. It was the source for Lazarus come forth. It was the source for demon go. It was the source for I rebuke this sickness and disease. It was the source for blind eyes open and deaf ears open. It was the source. Not a lot of people driving thousands of miles to watch someone pray. With, with, with one thing I've loved about this uh, revival that's been taking place at this university is it, it, there has been no glitz or glam. They don't even dim their lights for their worship. They don't have the shiny stuff. They don't even have instruments really plugged into stuff. It's all acoustic stuff. No dynamics, no action, no progressions and chords and none of the dressed up stuff. Hard wooden benches. Just bare bones, man. And I love that their response is, as people have come and say, 
or, or wanted to come and wanted. No, man, you, you will bring a disruption. It's nothing against you. But, but what has happened here has not been a result of the spectacular and the glamorous and we dressed it all up. This has just been a result of just the heart being compelled to the Father respond. It all started with a message. It started with the Word because the signs follow the teaching and preaching of the Word, and the signs confirm the preaching. and Even the signs point to, there's a Word you need. There's a Word you need. Don't just stand around and spectate. Hear the Word that's coming to deliver your soul. There, there are road marks say, word ahead, word ahead, word ahead, word ahead. Because we can spectate and we can applaud and we can witness and we can watch and still not be changed and actually hang the one on the cross that produced the results that we applauded. Master performed a miraculous sign only to months later crucify. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Verse 9, a man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Look, it doesn't take. People will line up for the spectacular. And it may even be difficult to discern. Is it of God or is it not? Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. But he's not. If we're not careful, we don't seek the right thing. We don't seek the right thing. We will amaze people. We will blow them away. They will feel something. They will experience something. They will see something. They will watch something. But it was in the wrong spirit. They listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. Now he's got them with his words. But now the people believe Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. Now he is turning his amazement on the very things that people were amazed at him with. It was the spectacular. It was the results driven. Show us something. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw, everyone say Simon saw. Simon saw that the Spirit was given. How did he see? Because it was demonstrated. Most likely in the recurring act of speaking in other tongues, as we see multiple times take place in the book of Acts. It was something spectacular. It was some sort of demonstration that was enough, even though it doesn't tell us exactly what external thing took place. It was something enough that Simon the sorcerer has this response. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given, when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. Something happened when the Holy Spirit came upon them. Enough so that this man is willing to monetarily invest in whatever just took place. I mean, we know in Acts chapter 2, there was a physical sign. We know multiple times that they were began to speak with other tongues, that they were uh, prophesying, that they were uh, doing different things that took place when the Holy Spirit came upon them. We know that there is some sort of physical manifestation that takes place when the Holy Spirit fills you. 
So much so that this sorcerer, this magician, is willing to buy whatever just took place. Verse 19, he says, let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, may your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part of this. Here it is, for your heart is not right with God. It was a heart matter. He says, you want the result, but you don't want the thing that brings the result. And you think you can just purchase this. Even in that cost, it was still a shortcut for what it would really cost him, lordship. There's historical accounts about this man that he continued in his sorcery and magician and never really fully committed his life to following Jesus. That he was still so caught up with the spectacular and still caught up with the sign and not seeking first the kingdom, but seeking all the things that the kingdom would eventually bring if he sold out to the kingdom. It's amazing. Some of us will pay whatever cost necessary except for ourselves. What's the value? The value's in the cost. If it doesn't cost you anything, then it's not worth anything. He reveals that this is a matter of the heart. He reveals that it's the posture of our heart. Do we want what God wants for the same reason he wants it? Do we want what God wants for the same reason he wants it? Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.